purity is about staying away from that which has been contaminated. So you don't want to eat food that isn't pure. Um, you don't want to drink water that has been contaminated. We understand that. It's gross. It's not good for you. It has the potential to really hurt you. Sometimes like camp food, it just seems that way. Like this is food poisoning. I'm just eating, eating food poisoning right here, right now. Um, ever had food poisoning? You admit it? Five of you are truthful. It's not fun. Uh, food poisoning is just the worst. You feel miserable. You, you like want to die. I got it once on the way home from a family vacation, which you already have the, like, the feeling of, can we just get home, please? And we stopped at a certain fast food chain that I now avoid at all costs. I refuse to go back there. I'm not going to name it because some of your favorite, I think. Um, I, within like 30 minutes, just something's not right and stopped for the next three or four hours, every 15 minutes, like clockwork, just to throw up. Uh, food poisoning is worse. It's like that. When we talk about issues of, of purity, when we think of this in like a spiritual sense, it's really just the, the same thing. We don't want to risk letting contamination in. We don't go back to things that we know probably are good for us, things that are, are impure. The Bible focuses on... Purity of the heart. Purity in the Bible is always about having a pure heart. Not letting contamination, that which is impure, get into the heart. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, one of the, really the best of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So pure in heart, purity here, it's, it's the same thing. We're talking about a heart that's free from sin. Heart that we're trying hard to just... Keep free from immorality. And the way that we typically think about the word purity, especially today, is in a context of sexual immorality. We, we think of that way. It's sexual sin that we typically sort of associate with that word whenever we talk about it. <coughs> purity in physical relationships, sure. Purity in things that we're letting our eyes look at and see again and again, absolutely is the issue. Purity about thoughts that we're not trying to push out of our mind, that we just sort of let linger and stay, absolutely part of the problem. But that is not all of it. We talk about purity. So much more than just sexual immorality or, 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 or sexual sins. Your, your battle, if you're purity, it might be similar to the person next to you, but probably not. It's going to look very, very different. The impure heart can be contaminated by so many different kinds of sins. And I want you to see that, that the purity problem is bigger than you think. You have an impure heart. The first reason is that you're losing this battle with purity because you're born with a heart full of all kinds of evil. Not just an inclination to sexual sin, although that's there, but you're born with a heart full of all kinds of evil. Born with a heart problem. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is in confrontation with the Pharisees. They are uh, religious leaders of Israel that really only care about the appearance of religion, the appearance of purity, the appearance of godliness. They don't really give much attention to the heart. 
They care about appearing pure, Jesus said in Mark 7. It's what comes out of a person that defiles him. For from within, listen to the words of Jesus, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, but also theft and murder and adultery and coveting and wickedness and deceit and sensuality and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. All these evil things come from within. They come from your heart. And, that, and Jesus says, that's what defiles a person. And people, this is the state of your heart without Christ. It's not just full of, you know, evil that focuses on sexual morality, but it's full of all kinds of evil. So much evil stuff there. This is why you have a purity problem. Good works can't fix it. That's what the Pharisees thought. Just polish this up on the outside. Get it looking good. Doesn't matter how pure you look. Doesn't matter how godly you act. Doesn't matter really at all what kind of good things you're trying to do. It's never, ever going to be enough. It's not going to make a bit of difference. That heart of yours is going to remain full of impurity. Without Christ, there's nothing you can do about the sin that lives inside of you. You need a new heart, which is amazing because that's exactly what the gospel offers. It offers us a new heart. I think Austin mentioned it yesterday sometime. I'm not sure what day it is anymore. It's all kind of blended together. I'm sure you feel that way too. But at some point he mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 36, part of God's design for his people was to give them this new heart. God knows what the problem is. We have a a bad heart. We have this heart problem. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. I'm going to remove this heart of stone from your flesh. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. Put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God's letting us know that he's going to give us this new heart that will allow us to even begin the process of living in the way that he wants. We're desperate for God's help. It's the beautiful thing about the gospel. It brings healing. It brings a new heart. It brings a new creation, right? First Corinthians 5, 17. You're this new creation. If you're in Christ. That's why the gospel is it's, it's so beautiful. If your heart is full of impurity this morning, this is where you need to begin. And, and I think that's the biggest point I want you to hear this morning. This is what we have to think about first. Do I have a new heart? Have I ever embraced the gospel for real? Have I ever believed in what Christ has done? Have I put my faith in him, what he did on the cross to pay for that evil, wicked heart of mine? Have I, have I done that? Have I started with the gospel? We need God to give us this new heart. Not some of you, but I think the majority of you are probably trying to figure out if that's true or not. What's this look like? I'm confused by the sin still in my life. I get that question a lot. You know, I'm still sinning. Am I really saved? I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. So let's just talk about it for a second. You can often detect 
an impure heart by its love for sin. You can often detect a serious purity problem, and listen to these words, by a love for sin. Not a brokenness, not a regret, but a love for it. Symptoms of an impure heart or an unhealthy love for sin. Listen, you indulge in it, you delight in it, you love it, you make room for it. It could be the case that there are some people here who, man, you've let go of so many sins in your life. You've, you've, you've put them to death. You've moved past them. So many. Even if we look at that list from Mark chapter 7, I've, I've dealt with a lot of these already, except there's this, just this one little sin for me. There's this one little sin that I'm going to hold on to that I love too much. I'm not going to let it go. I don't want to let it go because I love it. Because I'm indulging in it. It's a sin that you often tell yourself that no one knows. No one has to know about. It's not hurting anybody. We're going to talk about some of those lies in a minute. Or trying to convince yourself all the time this is no big deal. This isn't a problem. It could be true that you've mastered the art of hiding it. It looks like you're not dealing with this sin at all. It looks like you've distanced yourself from that particular sin to the watching world, to your parents, to your friends, to your peers, to your youth pastor, to your small group leaders, whatever. They don't even have a clue that you're dealing with this. All the while, you have one eye just constantly on it. I'm not letting that sin get too far away from me. My mind's just constantly given to it, a heart filled with it. It's a good way to think about whether or not I really have a purity problem here. You have an impure heart because there's some sin that you just believe you can't live without. Again, you indulge, you delight, you make provision, you cater to it, you go out of your way to make sure, to use the words of Proverbs, that your feet find its path. I just got to make sure I'm going to get to it at some point. The heart infatuated with sin it rejects God's instruction and it refuses to use our word again from Proverbs. It refuses to guard the heart. Instead of guarding your heart, you sneak around and you look for ways to make sure that sin never just gets too far out of your reach, keeping it close all the time. If, if you're a believer, this is again, we're staying real close to the gospel. If you're a believer and people sin is never, ever something that you delight in. It's never something that you just have this like secret love for. It's something that you hate. That's the words Paul uses in Romans 7. It brought him shame. It brought him guilt. He felt horrible about it. And he said, why do I keep doing the things that I hate? That's the way that we're supposed to think about it. The sin that I absolutely, that I hate, not to encourage sin not to make room for it, or provision, which is a fancy word for make room for it. Romans 13, chapter 13, verse 14. Make no provision, make no space, make no room for your flesh. Don't gratify its desires. So if you're harboring that sin, if you're, you know, you're just working so hard to lie about it and cover it up and just delight in it all the time, you don't really feel like your sin's a problem, then you shouldn't be wondering if you're a Christian or not. You shouldn't be wondering why you're struggling so much with purity. 
1 John 1, 6 says, if we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. You're, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. And you need to go back to the gospel. You need to, to plead and beg Jesus to give you that new heart. To thank him for dying on the cross for your wickedness. Put your faith and trust in him. You have a purity problem because you need to surrender your heart to Christ. We got to move. Let's look at the command. Just a few verses about the command. If you are a believer, and I praise the Lord, thankful that there are a lot of believers here in this room this morning. Purity is something that we are to constantly be pursuing. First John chapter 3, and I do think you should turn there. First John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. John writes this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. He's just, you know, he's just overwhelmed and he's He's just so pumped about what the gospel's done in his life. He's so grateful. He says, look at this. Look at the love that the Father's given to us that we should be called his children, children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we're God's children now, right now. And what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when Christ comes back, that we're going to be like him. Because we're going to see him fully. We're going to see him for who he is, John writes. And everyone who has that kind of hope, that just can't wait for their king and savior to return, for Jesus to come back. John writes this, if that's your hope, then you're purifying yourself as he is pure. Let's think about this for a second. Incredible love, grace shown to us in the gospel. If you're a Christian you should just be overwhelmed by it every day. I can't believe Christ gave his life for me. I'm forgiven. I'm saved. And the language that John uses here, I'm, I'm adopted into God's family. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm his son. Uh, I'm his daughter. It's incredible to know that reality. So encouraging. And if you're saved, John's saying you're a child of God right now. There's blessing today. There's benefit today. And there's also something to be doing today, right now, because the day's coming when he's coming back. We're going to see him in his glory. We're going to see him in his fullness. And we're going to want to just be as pure as possible in that moment. Day's coming when John writes, we're actually going to be like him. Young people, that includes no longer fighting sin, no longer dealing with the consequences of sin. And even though you're young, I know that that means something to you today. I'm so tired of the hurt and the pain and the nastiness and all the junk that comes from sin in my life, in my friend's life, in my family's life. And John's like, look how good this is going to be someday. We're going to be just like him, see him as he is. We're going to be just like him in his sinlessness. John writes, but we don't just wait for that day. Yeah, we're preparing for it. We're thankful for it. Our hopes in Christ, our hopes in the future. And while we hope in him, we're to be doing something. We're to be purifying ourselves as he is pure. It's the glory of Christ 
It's his image. It's, it's his example. It's his life that we look to, that we see so clearly in, in his word, figuring out who Jesus is. And it's that example that we use to purify ourselves. We're, we're purifying ourselves as he is pure. Apostle Paul wrote of a life pleasing to God, life that believers should be pursuing. It hits close to one of the major ways we think about purity. It's the issue that most of you think about, I'm sure. It's it's in 1 Thessalonians 4, a passage you're familiar with. Verse 1, he writes, Finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more, that you keep growing in this, you keep working on it. For you know, he writes in verse 2, what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. But this is the will of God, and I know this is familiar, but it's good to hear it again. This is the will of God, your sanctification, your set-apartness, your separation from, from sin, your set-apartness for holiness. He writes specifically that you abstain from a certain kind of sin, sexual immorality. God's will for your life sounds pretty serious to me. God's will for my life is that he wants me to be set apart, wants me to be holy, wants me to be separated from all the sins that even though I'm saved, I'm still dealing with, I'm still fighting against, I'm still trying to put to death. I'm not like him yet. My hope is that one day I I know I will be, but until that day comes, I need to fight this more and more and more and more. We pursue purity. It goes on to say in verse 4, each of you know how to control his own body, holiness, and honor. Verse 7, why? Because God's not called you, not saved you, not forgiven you, not adopted you into his family for impurity. He didn't save you to just let you wreak havoc on your life when it comes to issues of sin. He saves you in holiness. This kind of sin has been a problem with with humanity. It's a huge issue. It's always been around. It's always been something that man has, has perverted and corrupted. And it's an area that maybe you're not sinning in right now. It doesn't mean that you won't. And if it's not an area that you're dealing with now that you're sinning in now doesn't mean that you don't have a purity problem again first peter chapter 1 verse 14 says as obedient children don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance don't go back to the way you were before you were saved but as he who called you is holy you also be holy and this is so important in all your conduct 1 Peter 1, verse 15. Be holy in all of your conduct. So not just in this one issue. Again, I'm laboring this a little bit because I want you to see it for what it really is. Purity is such a bigger deal than sexual morality. You're called to be holy in all your conduct. That's the command for us, the command for all of it. We're to Pursue purity in our heart in all the areas that our hearts might sin. Again, sexual morality, yes, totally, absolutely. But also, just go back to Mark 7 and read through that list again. Evil thoughts. 
probably have already had a bunch today. Evil thoughts, murder, hatred. Jesus helps us understand that a little bit. Stealing, coveting, being deceitful, misrepresenting the truth, lying, slandering, pride, envy, all these things. Young people, we're called to be holy like our king is holy. We're called to purify ourselves as he is pure. We're to be putting sin to death. Stop allowing that contamination into your heart so much when it comes to this issue of purity. So there's more. This topic of purity, I was so thankful when Josh gave it to me. It's, you know, it's just a little one. Uh, so much we could say, but I, I want to just give you the, the gist of it. You know these verses. You've heard them before. Um, you've, you've read them before. Maybe you've memorized them before. Uh, but I just want to remind you again, this is biblical. This is God's command to us. There is some truth here that maybe is just good for our minds to be reminded of. But I want to move away from it to, to what we said, number three, to look at some of the deceptions, some of the lies that we typically misunderstand or that we believe when it comes to the issue of, of our purity, of your purities. Here's some of the lies that you're believing. Number one is this, that you believe sin is better. You believe sin is better. Every day, Christians everywhere forget. Forgetfulness is one of the greatest enemies of our faith. They forget what Christ has done. They forget the example that they're supposed to be following. They forget their pursuit of purity. It doesn't matter. Again, this is all of us, young, old, men, women, all of it. Believers of all kinds, they neglect guarding their heart. They, they forfeit happiness, both present and future, for the sake of some fleeting pleasure, for the sake of some temporary pleasure that will not satisfy. Why do they do it? We give in to sin and the temptation to act in an impure way. We do it always out of self-interest. We sin believing that this is for me. I'm doing this because I, I want to. I believe it's going to make me feel better it's going gonna, it's gonna to make me feel something different than I'm feeling now. This is for me. It's going to maybe take away that emptiness that I'm feeling. We tend to be most vulnerable to sin when we're tired, when we're alone, when we feel lonely, like nobody cares. We're most tempted to sin when we're discouraged, we're depressed, we're angry. We give in to sin more often when we're struggling in our relationships with peers, uh, maybe a, a more serious relationship, maybe relationships with our parents or other people that God's placed into our lives in some area of, of help, of authority. So, you know, parents, again, small group leaders, when those relationships aren't right, when they're not what they're supposed to be, we're more tempted to just give in to sin. Just thinking about it this way, we sin, embracing that lie that Satan loves to whisper, this is going to make you so happy. This is going to be so good. This is going to be so rewarding for you. Do it. It's going to take away that disappointment. It's going to take away that stress. 
It's going to replace that hurt. It's going to make you feel so much better if you just do this. The number one lie that we believe when it comes to issues of purity is this. We believe sin is actually better. Believe it's better. You say, well, better than what? Well, if you're running towards sin, young people, then you're running away from God. You believe that the satisfaction and the happiness and the joy that that sin's going to give you, that it's better than what God can give you. It's better than anything that God has for you. You have a God substitute on your hands, a God substitute. Uh, Randy Alcorn has a little book called Purity Principle, little blue book. I think I have it in my backpack. I'll show you afterwards. Short little book, easy to read. He says this, a God substitute is anything that we're valuing higher than God. Makes sense. You get that. Anything that we're clinging to like that requires then that we're, that we're making some sort of trade, that what we believe God can offer us and satisfy in our hearts, that we think that there's something that can do a better job or that something that we, we would rather have do that. So you're trading God's present and future blessing for something right here, right now, something you can taste, see, feel, whatever. That's something, though, Randy says it never satisfies you know that that's true. Moments after that sin, feeling is back, didn't last. It's a terrible trade, he says. Those who cling to worthless idols like that, they neglect the grace that's theirs in Christ. And people, sin is not better. The lie that we believe. Number two lie we believe. Sin doesn't hurt anyone. Number two lie that we believe is that sin doesn't hurt anybody. Don't get very far away from the Garden of Eden without encountering serious sin. I love this year's theme of camp. One story. The Bible's so helpful this way. My Bible is just dropping stuff. It's okay. Uh, Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel. We have two brothers. Abel was the shepherd. Cain was the farmer. And they both brought these offerings to the Lord. And only Abel's was regarded by Yahweh, regarded by God. What he brought was what he was supposed to bring. Cain did not do what God asked, what God required. And then this, the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why does your face look like that? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin's crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you, you got to rule over that over this desire. So God's trying to tell Cain, if you choose my way, if you do things my way, by my plan, you're going to find happiness. You're going to be accepted. If you say no to your sinful desires, if you master them and don't let them master you, if you come with me, you're going to experience all that is good, this peace and joy and happiness. That's what God is saying to Cain right here in Genesis 4. And at the same time, he's saying, if you reject it, if you reject my way, if you're not going to do things my way, you're going to surrender control of your life to that which will tear it apart. You're surrendering control of your life to this sin that will tear it apart. And you know the story. Cain ignores God's instruction. After taking the life of his brother, the rest of his days are filled with hardship Absolutely what God said would happen, happened. He ruined so many lives. 
His sin impacted the lives of his parents, for sure, his brother, his own life. We see that here, that purity is, it's rewarded. When you choose it, you're choosing blessing and joy and hope and laughter. And when you choose impurity, when you choose to go against what God's called you to do, look at what you're choosing, misery and pain and more isolation and more hurt and loneliness and death. And you do it on yourself and others and everybody around you. Sin hurts everyone. It hurts everyone. But more than that, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 says to flee, to run away from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside his body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. It's different from other sins. The kind of sins that we associate with pretty often, it's, it's very different from other sins. Paul says here that this one's against yourself, that you're hurting yourself. You're hurting your own body and it's so contrary to the way that we normally live. I love me and you love you. It's just kind of the way it works. We don't want to hurt ourselves. But yet God's word warns us that when you're engaged in that kind of sin, that's exactly what you're doing. Hurting yourself. Very quickly, God informs us that he designed sex to be enjoyed exclusively in the commitment of marriage. He designed that to be exclusively in the commitment of marriage. It's nothing you haven't heard before. It's nothing new. Those two things go together. And when you, when you separate them, you take apart that which God put together, something that had potential for, for good now has the potential for all kinds of evil, all kinds of hurt, all kinds of pain. It's precisely why Paul says sexual immorality is something young people you got to run from. Sexual morality is something you got to flee from. Flee from it. Get away from it. Run. Don't look back. Get as far away from it as you possibly can. Run and run and run. Instead, we just do the opposite. We flirt with it. We like just try to see how close we can get to it without actually sinning. We just keep inching closer every day, closer and closer and closer. And then the day comes when we give in to that temptation and we sin. And we're like, how did that happen? Why did that happen? Because we're not doing what God's word calls us to do. We're not fleeing it. We're not running from it. Sidebar a little bit, but let's get back to it. Uh, in close connection, let me just say, your sin will find you out. Biblical, Numbers 32, Proverbs 10, 9. The man of integrity walks securely. He has nothing to worry about. But he who takes crooked paths will be found out. Secret sin is so dumb. God warns us, hey, you're not getting away with anything. You might get away with it for a month or a year or 10 years, but eventually the time is coming when you will be found out when it's going to hurt and more people are going to know and they're going to be hurt by your sin, especially when it comes to marriage. The whole point of what God's trying to help you understand in that marriage is you're supposed to go to that spouse that you you know, love extremely and say, I have no one to compare you to. There's just, there's no one else for me to compare you to because I've fleed sexual immorality my whole life. That's God's design for you. That's God's desire for you. Instead of having to crush them and hurt them with this 
unveiling of all this sin. It hurts you. Sin hurts you. It hurts everyone around you. It's a lie to think otherwise. Lie number three. Living a life of purity is joyless. Living a life of purity is joyless. Pursuing purity is going to steal my joy. Psalm 8410. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 84, 10 and 11. Purity is not the depriver of joy. Purity is not the depriver of joy. Walking uprightly ensures that our lives are full of the goodness of God. James 1 helps us understand that every good gift and every perfect gift we know comes from God living his way, living a life of pursuing purity, trying to be holy as he is holy. It's only going to just kind of lock in that I have God's favor and blessing. I'm not going to be robbed of joy in any way. In the culture that you live in now, which hasn't really changed a whole lot. I know you hear that a lot, like it's, oh, no, it's getting worse and worse. Yeah, it is, but it's kind of always just been really bad. But we see that in our culture, that denying the pleasures of your flesh, things that you just feel like doing. You live in a time when people would say, why are you torturing yourself? Just do whatever you, makes you happy. Do whatever you want to do. They think that living a life of purity is just being cruel to yourself. We see that it's not true. By pursuing purity, God's calling you a life that will bring you the most joy, the greatest good, the happiest you could possibly be. Psalm 84, 10, 11, look what he says again. No good thing, no good thing will he withhold to those who walk this way, to those who pursue purity, to those who are walking uprightly. Have absolutely every good thing you would ever want. It's not a killjoy. It's not going to ruin high school. It's not going to ruin your life. Purity is to protect you. Purity is to keep you alive. Purity is to ensure that your days are filled with true, lasting good. Oh, I'm not going to make it. Let's, let's go to number four. Our source of help. Our source of help. Purity is something that God wants for you. We're almost done. Give me three minutes. As an unbeliever... I want to say this again. hope you've heard this from me. As an unbeliever, purity is impossible. As an unbeliever, purity is not possible. But as a believer, you're given this new heart and you're commanded to chase after purity. You're commanded to pursue it. So it's a process. It's something that we have to learn, something that we have to grow in, something that we have to constantly be working on. So what advice does God's word have for you? Again, another passage that I think you've heard, but maybe you're starting to see how the Bible really is connected. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young person keep his way pure? It's literally the question I just asked. God's word says, by guarding it according to your word. To God's word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I want to store up my word in my heart. What Your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Can't fight sin in your own strength. You're going to get nowhere. Trying to put sin to death on your own, it's not going to work. We need God's word to help us combat that constant barrage of evil and wickedness that's coming at us all the time and that's already in our heart. 
trying to get in even more. We got we to gotta put this to death. Ephesians 4.22, another great verse. Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner before you were saved. That former life that's corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. God's word is going to free us from sinful desires. It undeceives us. Tells the truth about our desires. Helps us to see what's really going on. That, that these sins that I'm so engaged in and so wrapped up with, that they are fleeting. That they really don't deliver on what I feel like or I think that they're going to give me. So we stop believing dumb lies about sin dumb lies about ourselves, we start to see and understand the truth of, of God's word. Again, Randy Alcorn says, and really helpful, we become what we think. The battle, young people, is in your mind. Tomorrow's character is made out of today's thoughts. I like that sentence. The things that I'm focusing on the most today is what's going to shape me for tomorrow. Temptation, it does come suddenly, but sin doesn't kind of person we're becoming is determined by what we're taking into our brains our minds they accumulate what we expose it to whether that's godly or ungodly the brain doesn't care just wants to take it in just wants to hold it in there they're not vacuums your mind isn't god gave you a really unique thing and your brain wants you to think wants you to meditate on stuff and you put something in there that doesn't really allow your brain to go empty and i know some of you're like no i know people who have empty brains trust me <laughs> i promise you have to be thinking about something almost all the time impure thoughts are pushed out by pure ones and i want you to write that down impure thoughts are pushed out by pure ones which is why Philippians 4 is so helpful. Whatever's true and honorable, it's Philippians 4 8. Whatever's just, pure, lovely, all that stuff. Paul says, you gotta think about that stuff. That's the stuff to think about. It's the Word of God. We gotta store it up in our heart. It kills ignorance. We wake up. We see through the eyes of God. It's the Word that allows us to see Him, helps us to pursue God with a clean, pure heart. John Piper says, we kill the sin of lust by believing God's promises. Namely, that seeing and being with God in pursuit of heart is a more satisfying wealth than the fleeting pleasures of lust. Learning to be satisfied with God, young people, that's the battle. Are you satisfied with Christ? Are you satisfied with your, with your relationship with Christ, with your Savior? Love for Christ has to be greater than our lust for sin. Your love for Christ has to be greater than our lust for sin. I want to give you one last scripture, and then I'm going to let you go. I want you to be able to sing with the psalmist who wrote this, Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you, God. My flesh and my heart, they're going to fail. I'm a mess. But God, you're the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You're going to put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good and it is the best good to be near you, God. And the best way that we have the, the, the God's intention for us to get near him is through this. How can a young man keep his way pure? 
by guarding his heart according to the word of God. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for a few minutes to talk about a serious issue. Pray for these young people. Pray for their hearts, God, those who need the gospel. I pray that you would open their eyes to how impossible it is to live a life of purity without you. God, more importantly, where they'll spend eternity without you. And those who belong to you, those who you've made sons and daughters of you, God, grow their joy in you. May they be able to to actually flee and fight and put to death the sins in their heart and their life by fixing their eyes on your son, by fixing their eyes on you, Christ. Pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen.